guys and welcome back to the Park End Podcast. It is episode number two. A big, big thanks for all of the support on the first episode. Managed to get it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all of that good stuff. So it was a little bit surreal sitting down and seeing the Park End Podcast on my phone when I was lying in bed. Uh, I had a little listen through it to make sure it was alright as well. I want to say a big, big thanks for all of the support and the lovely comments on the first video. My dad, on the first podcast, sorry, my dad has been absolutely made up. He's been reading through them Uh, he's been saying he's now the star of the channel so you probably see me dad a lot more to be honest with you might get him to do a couple of match previews over on the mighty blues um as well Uh, for the second podcast we're joined by an absolutely fantastic guest a very very good friend of mine a friend that was introduced to me through everton and everton content and talking about carlo ancelotti's everton it is Jordan. Jordan has also got his own channel um, uh, surrounding movies and televisions and reviews, which is absolutely fantastic. By the way, I absolutely love it. If you're into movies, definitely check out Jordan's channel. We'll talk a little bit more about Jordan's channel in uh, a little bit later on in the podcast. But Jordan, massive, massive thanks for joining me, mate. I know we haven't spoke for quite a while because it's just been manic and, you know, basically Everton playing every five minutes and then not playing for six weeks. And it's just a bit mad at the moment. But how are you, mate? How's things? Yeah, I'm all good, mate. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for asking me. And I've missed you, so that's why I've agreed to come on. <laughs> definitely, mate. Definitely. I was sitting there the other day, like, I haven't done a video with Jordan for ages, and I thought, oh, I could do the podcast. That's a, that's a definitely yeah. a good way to start. But yeah, great to hear, mate. Obviously, like I said, there has been a, it has been a while. It's been really, really manic at the moment. So obviously, we're, we're going to follow the same sort of tale as we did with the first podcast. We're going to talk to Jordan about his Everton story, how he became a blue, his love for films as well. Because, you know, we all know as Everton, that Everton is, you know, the one of those passions in your life that you just can't get rid of. It's one of them that disappoints you, but no matter how much we get beat, no matter how bad of a performance we put in, Richarlison comes out and puts up a picture, or we see Carlo again and we just think, I can't wait to see them again. But there is room for other passions, of course, in life, and one of Jordan's massive passions is film, very much like myself. Like I said, we'll go on to talk about that uh, a little bit later on in the podcast. But in terms of Everton, Jordan, I spoke about, you know, my Everton story briefly on the, uh, the start of the first podcast I said I'm, I'm an Evertonian very much like a lot of people I was brought up as an Evertonian because my dad was an Evertonian I've been going the game since I was six years old um, and that was basically it, it that was it it was instilled in me since birth I don't know anything else and I don't want to know anything else are you sort of a, is that a similar situation for you what, what's your Everton story how did you become a blue and when was your first game yeah um Pretty much the same as you, mate, with, with my dad. My dad was, was a massive Everton fan and, you know, I go to match with him to this day. Well, not right now because of COVID, but, you know, I sit next to him at the game and all that. He's the one who made me a blue. I think that's a lot of people's stories as well. But, yeah, um, but yeah uh, my first game my dad took me to was actually a 5-3 defeat to QPR, which is, you know, obviously that's not ideal because we lost, but... It's funny enough because the second game I went to was actually 6-2 against Swindon. So I was seeing a lot of games and we actually won, sorry, a lot of goals there. Yeah. So I, we actually won that one. So yeah, it was goals galore for my first two games. Um, but I think I think the earliest memory about Everton is not actually at the game, but yeah. when my dad took me over to the park and had a kick about with me when I was about five with my first ever Everton top on. And just from then really, you know, I, I was... Born, born to be blue, really. Um, but yeah, me, it is. Me, me dad is a massive blue, and you know, me hero, really. So, 
that's... I'm always going to follow him. Definitely. And that's where the passion yeah. come from. And like you said, there's there's nothing more Everton than your first two games as a child being a, a massive defeat and, and a massive win. It wouldn't be Everton yeah. if it wasn't that way. Um, I remember man, like I said, sitting. I had to leave at half-time with man because I was crying because I couldn't take the noise. And fast forward 20-odd <laughs> years and now I'm the fan that's sitting there making all the, the noise. You know, probably yeah. all the other kids are going, I don't want to come back in and see this madman screaming at these referees yeah. or these players. Uh, but no, yeah, so... Like you said, it's very much like a, a lot of people's has grown up, and, and we're born into it, aren't we? And and getting your first Everton kit as a child, and going the game, and and watching these players, and, and idolising these players, and wanting to sort of be in their position. It, it you know, it's 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 a family, and and we are a family, and it's a club that you, you love and you grow to love, and you, and you always will. And, and like I said, there's there's no other there was no other option for me, and I wouldn't want there to be any other option, even after the defeats, even after the disappointments, even you know, getting to the points where you just can't be bothered by watching or you can't be bothered even sort of entertaining it. You still go, the, again, you still go the game. You still, you know, it's Everton and, and it always will be. Um, so in terms of, obviously, your first memories and, and growing up watching Everton and getting your first football kit and having a kick about in the park with your dad, do you remember any Everton players that you'd look up to and you'd sort of idolise? Any any heroes from your childhood? Any players that you think, oh, I want to be like them. I want to play like him when I'm older. I want to I wanna see him and sort of... As well as that, were there any of those players that you grew up that idolised that ultimately come to leave Everton Football Club and it, it sort of hit you hard? Yeah, um, it's funny you should say that because I was actually thinking about is he going to ask me who my favourite players were? Uh, obviously, for me, it was Duncan Ferguson. You know, I he just epitomised Everton at the yeah. time and he's one of the big reasons I actually loved Everton apart from my dad. I mean, he was just... He was me... No, well, I said my dad was my hero, but he was my, my hero who were in my life, if you get me, him and Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just I just loved Duncan, you know, he was just, he always stepped up in the derby and stuff, and, you know, I was always nervous for derbies all the time as a kid, and, you know, I, I, when I seen Ferguson, I was like, yeah, come on, we'll, we'll do these, and... Yeah, I just and I, it's funny you should say that because he did leave, didn't he? Yeah, and it, it, it was it was horrible. <laughs> um, but obviously he came back and finished his career at Everton. But the one I'd say the one that hurt me the most, um, I think it was about fourteen or fifteen at the time. I can't quite remember. Um, was Wayne Rooney? I was just like never seen anything like him. He yeah. was like the best player I've ever seen live. Probably still is to this day in an Everton shirt. And when he left, it was. I was just like, We're, we can't just have anything, can we? Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it was horrible. It, it, that was probably the one that hit me the most, Rooney, I think. And I never quite forgave him for that. Um, yeah. I know he went on to win everything, fair enough. Um, but on the other hand, I wish he could have just given us another couple of years. But yeah. at the end of the day, I don't think we ever could have matched his ambitions at the time. He didn't have the money and stuff. So can't hate on him too much, but it, it did hurt. And hurt even more when I seen him kiss the uh, man new badge of Goodison. I mean that was the main reason I didn't want him back. But I I, I that one was the worst. But Ferguson was the one I looked up to as a kid. Yeah. Um but my I'd say my favourite ever Everton player was Tim Cale to be honest. Um just the personality of the man. Um always wanted to win and I was a bit older to understand football a bit more then. Yeah. And he's probably my favourite ever Everton player. Yeah. Him and Ferguson anyway, so yeah. Yeah, that, uh, they're, they're my favourite players, and Rooney the best I've seen probably. 
Spot on. Spot on. Well, like, those two that you mentioned, they epitomise Everton Football Club, don't they? Yeah. The fight, the passion. I mean, look at Duncan Ferguson even recently stepping into management and epitomising that passion and that energy and that fight and that just the the love that he has for this football club. And, and you know, it, I think it brought everybody closer to Duncan Ferguson. Look, look yeah. the whole fan base was close to Duncan anyway, but the wins and the running up and down the touchline and stuff like that, you could see it was pure emotion. And I've also spoke before about Duncan Ferguson and the admiration I actually had for Duncan Ferguson when we were winning those games when we beat Chelsea when we got a good point against Manchester United at Old Trafford let's not remember this was during a time in the season when I think we all sort of sat back and gone we could get relegated here if Marco Silva keeps hold of this team this midfield as they are you know Domwick wasn't really firing like he is now we could really seriously get relegated so Duncan come in and those results that he picked up were massive but a big admiration I had for Duncan Ferguson and, and still have for this day and probably always well definitely always will have was when it was going good when it was going well and he was getting the interviews by Sky and they were loving it and BT and all of that and they constantly asked him the same question do you want to be Everton manager will you take this this Everton job and it could, would have been so easy for Duncan Ferguson to have turned around and said yeah if I'm offered it I'll take it it's a dream job I always want it, uh, you know that's it and Everton would have been very easy to do what Chelsea did what Arsenal have did what very Manchester United have done what various other clubs have done and gone well yeah Duncan Ferguson wants the job the fans are on board he's getting decent results out the players he probably won't want a massive wage so let's just make the easy decision now but he didn't he come out and said it's a dream job for me but I want Everton to go out and get the best manager for Everton I want Everton to go out and bring in the man who's going to come in and take us to that next level and I don't think that's me at the moment now whether he knew it his mind that Carlo Ancelotti was in the talks and it was either him or Carlo Ancelotti I don't know but the fact the admiration that he come out and he put his personal um you know dreams and 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 want sort of on hold and put the club first just shows the type of person that he is and, and Tim Cale done that on many of occasions as a player as well he put the club first he's been at Finch Farm again this week I think he's been pictured today with with Andre Gomez so he's still in and around the club he's randomly tweets videos of, of goals he scored or pictures of his kids in Everton gear so you can tell it's again the saying is you know once Everton has touched you nothing will be the same mm. and that is absolutely spot on it's not just the saying that we say because we're a football club and we like these sayings that make us sound brilliant it's absolutely spot on players will tell you that players will tell you that they come to Everton with no expectations and they left an Evertonian and have continued to be an Evertonian for the rest of their lives so no I, I agree spot on you talk about Wayne Rooney of course there it, uh, in you should mention Wayne it's been announced today that he has officially retired as a footballer uh, at least he well he's, he's basically signed a, <clears throat> a contract with Derby County to become their official manager rather than a player manager which sees an end to his football retirement which was a bit weird because he didn't announce his retirement as a footballer and it wasn't announced that he retired from football it was announced that he'd, he'd become the Derby manager on a permanent sort of basis and then it sort of was like well, hang on, that means he's retired from football as well. So now you're seeing all social media flooding mm. in about him retiring from football. He was an excellent, excellent player. And you mentioned that the hate that you had for, you know, Wayne Rooney and, uh, and you know, him leaving the football club and obviously at a, at a very, very good age when he was clearly head and shoulders better than, than anybody at the club at that time and potentially anybody, um, you know, in the country. Did you sort of did you sort of get that love back a little bit when he returned? Did you have a little bit more admiration for him returning, or was it for you? Was it sort of like well, you've gone and give your best years elsewhere, and now you've come back just because you sort of want to play for Everton again, or did you think you know what maybe that deal at the time was best for everybody, and he, he's an Evertonian and he wants to come and play for Everton again, so he has done. 
Um, I'm gonna. This might be controversial, but I just didn't want him back. Cam, I, it, there was two reasons mainly because I know this is a bit petty, but I thought it was slightly embarrassing to bring someone back who kissed the man new badge, Rudderson. Um, I just thought that that you know you some of the clubs you wouldn't see them do that, and I was like, really. But the other, the main reason was I didn't think he added in him anymore. To be honest, um, I don't think he was the same player. Definitely not the same player we had when he was younger. So I was sort of against it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, did he win me over a little bit? Um, I suppose when he scored the pen yeah. in the derby, and he was like, you could see the passion and yeah. in his face and stuff. I was sort of like, yeah, it's right, all right. He just got to get on board now, and you know. But I know it's a little bit petty and stuff, but. Um, it was mainly to do the fact that he just kissed a man new badge to be honest I was just like really but yeah I supported him when he played for us when he came back basically yeah. no I, I agree you can't, you can't hold a grudge for that long <laughs> that's it well, that's, that's fair enough isn't it and and obviously you know there's, there's eight old arguments about situations like this and with Wayne Rooney and the argument is oh he was only a kid he didn't know what he was doing with this that and the other but no I, I agree it's it's very very difficult to then get behind a player who, who you've seen gone and do that you, you're right you, you, I'm, I'm exactly well, not right your opinion I'm the exact same as you is what I'm saying with the, with the penalty against Liverpool I just you could see the emotion in his face and he was also a big game player look Wayne Rooney come back to Everton I think he was top goal scorer in that season granted it was a dreadful season and then he left after it um, but he, he was a, you know he was a big game player he scored against Manchester City at the Etihad he scored against Liverpool taking a penalty against Liverpool at Anfield for Everton probably different now under Carlo Ancelotti and the mentality change in the club which we'll go on to talk about but back in 2018 I wouldn't have had confidence in anybody stepping up and taking a penalty at Anfield for Everton but Wayne Rooney stepped up and he slotted it and it was a great pen and I think it got us a point on that day and you could see the emotion in his face but I was sort of like that as you were when he left I was like that with Ross Barkley I was too young really to see Wayne Rooney leave I was born I think I was about three or four or something like that so I didn't really grasp like I said I had the kits I wanted I was an Evertonian I wanted to play for Everton I thought I could play for Everton like every other young blue but I didn't really grasp the importance of players leaving and what it meant and how good he was because I was just sort of again I was really new to it um but I had that sort of with Ross Barkley, really. I remember that 2013-14 season under Roberto Martinez, and I, I sort of was like, I, I, I think I'd shed a tear if Ross Barkley left Everton at that time. I remember watching him at Goodison, ripping teams to bitch, uh, bits, progressing through the midfield, absolutely just being unbelievable. And in many ways, we haven't had a midfielder do that since Ross Barkley in terms of pick the ball up and just run at our players. Um, but obviously, the situation was, again, a bit difficult with Ross because he left and obviously we had all the situation and you know could have left for 30 million in one window didn't leave and went for half the price the next window um there's been a lot of discussion about Ross Barkley recently Jordan didn't actually have him written down in the notes but you know what we may as well talk now most Evertonians I think are totally against bringing Ross Barkley back and I'm not for bringing Ross Barkley back to Everton by the way because of what he'd done but the type of player Ross Barkley is, is so desperately needed at Everton. It's like, if he wasn't called Ross Barkley, and he was a different player, and he'd grown up in Sheffield United's academy, let's say, you'd want him all day, every day. Are you sort of sort of like that with, with the Ross Barkley situation, same as me? Because, do you agree, we desperately need that type of player, don't we? I think we definitely need someone who can carry the ball. Um, <laughs> I would ideally love Jack Grealish, but yeah. I know he's going to cost way more money than... Barkley probably, but 
I don't know, Cam. I, I sort of see Barkley a little bit different here. He was a good player. I'll give I'll give him that. He is. A, he was a very good midfielder, but he did frustrate me at times yeah. with his, some of his two yard passion. It was like, yeah. <laughs> he no, he was, he was nowhere near what Wayne Rooney was. No, no, I'm not. I'm not saying he like he is, he was a good player. Like, but I don't know. I think. I'm not all for bringing players back in, in all honesty. I just yeah. think once they're gone, they're gone. Um, I'd, I'd, you know, I'll probably have Lukaku back tomorrow because I loved him. And he was like a brilliant goal scorer. Yeah, I'm um, a I know, I know, I, I'm, I'm sort of contradicting myself a little bit there because, but, um, with, with, with the Rooney situation and stuff. But uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't think Lukaku hurt as much as Rooney, to be honest. Um, but I don't know. He's probably about the only one right now that I'd, I'd maybe bring back Lukaku. Well, I, I, like the likes of Guy and all that, they're gone. You know, I, I'm not. I'm not all for bringing players back unless it's on the odd, rare occasion. To be honest, so I'm not really sure about Barkley. To be honest, um, I'd rather go and sign someone like like Grealish myself. But that's just me. No, I agree. I agree. Absolutely spot on. Like I said, I, I'm not in the bar. I wouldn't have Ross Barkley back because he's not. That perfect player, he's just the type of player that we need. But I yeah. think there's he's a good midfielder. He, 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 well, yeah, midfielder. practically he's, he's a mm. he's a decent midfielder, and I think Ross. If not saying he would ever come back before, you know, I, I get blasted in the comments. But if he was to come back, he'd start on a negative anyway because of the past and the fans. Per- yeah. uh, and and rightly so because he, he left us in a stupid situation and he joined Chelsea and he acted like everything was great and um he probably regrets that now considering where we are and, and where he is no disrespect to Aston Villa but in terms of his career and not playing in the Champions League is, which is why he went to Chelsea um on the Wayne Rooney situation as well obviously Wayne Rooney joined Everton rejoined Everton as Romelu Lukaku left Everton so that was I think another aspect probably in, in what you thought and, and, I, and I probably thought the same at the time was yeah it's great to have Wayne Rooney back and you know he probably has got a lot to offer certainly in big games but we're letting go of one of the best strikers in world football and we're bringing in somebody that used to play for Everton do you think that sort of then maybe felt like a little bit of a we've got to sell Lukaku so let's bring Rooney back to sort of soften the blow and go well look who we've got back we've got Wayne Rooney back um, or do you think it was just sort of a case of he's leaving time bring him in for a couple of years and see what he can do um, because obviously losing Lukaku was was a massive blow and look Dom's done fantastically well in the last couple of years and Dom will continue to grow and, and, and continue to be absolutely fantastic but Lukaku has done brilliantly in, in the Serie A as well he's been fantastic hasn't he yeah, it's, 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 I know Dom's good. I, I, I'm playing really well. I'm not saying he'd replace Dom or anything. I'm just saying, I think it'd be great up front together, to yeah. be honest, if we yeah. ever wanted to go back to 4 4 2. But what, what was the question again? Sorry, about Rooney. In terms, of, in terms of Wayne Rooney, obviously he came in oh, yeah. at a time when Lukaku left. So do yeah, you think um, sort of it was like a soften the blow situation? I don't know. No, I don't think so. I just I think the door was open for Rooney for yeah. years. Um, yeah. I actually thought he was going to resign about two years late, earlier before he signed his contract with Manu because there was times where he went playing with for them all the time. Yeah. Um, and I thought he was going to come back then, but I think they offered him like three hundred and fifty grand a week or something yeah. like that, something stupid like that. Um, and obviously he signed, but I thought that was the time that he was going to come. But um, I, I remember Cumin saying, "Whenever you get the chance to sign Rooney, you sign him." Um, and this is this might have even been before Lukaku left when I heard him say that. So um, he was sort of hinting at it then. Yeah. Um, but I, I just think it was one of them. The door was always open for him. I mean, you know, 
I think Ken Knight was and loads of other people at the club are probably always just talking to him now and again, socialising with him and stuff like that. I mean, he was coming back with Ferguson's testimonial and everything, yeah. wasn't he? So yeah. I think the door was just open for him, to be honest. I mean, as long as it weren't like now where he's like obviously retired or like a year before his retirement where he is no good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the door was always there for him, to be honest. No, I agree. I agree. Absolutely. I agree. Well, before we get into talking about current Everton and, and Carlo Ancelotti's Everton football club, let's talk a little bit prior to Carlo Ancelotti's Everton. What's your best memory of, of sort of a period of time, shall we say, with, with Everton? Could it maybe be the season under Martinez, where we finished fifth, the season under Moyes, where we finished fourth? Do you have a, a specific season where you sort of remember and you think yeah that that's the best I've seen at Everton no that's that's not necessarily maybe the best we've performed but that's the the best season we've had and, and as enjoyable as a, as a, it's been watching Everton yeah I think they're, they're the two aren't they I mean like the Martinez one was probably the best football we played yeah. I think um you know I, was good. I loved going to game that season you we just winning yeah. all the time yeah. me? and uh you know we had Coleman and Baines bombing up and down the wings yeah. and everything like that um Obviously, we had Barkley, Lukaku, and all that. It was it was good to watch. It was great, um, you know, playing some nice football. It worked for one season. Yeah, I think that was mainly down to having Moyes' defence. I mean, people will say it's not that, but I think it is because um, he had his attacking style. Yeah, and there's still you know the defenders with their st- uh, men- mentality still there from the yeah. previous season. Yeah. yeah, and I think it was a perfect mix. Um, we're very unlucky that season not to get fourth. Yeah. <laughs> Any other season, I think you get it on the seventy-two points, was it or something? Yeah. Um. So, yeah. I, I, but I think that my proudest moment, like overall of a season, was probably that one under Moyes because we were tipped to go down by everyone that season. Um, I think Rooney had just left. We brought in Marcus Bent. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, and we bought Kale for one point five million, and everyone was like, "What's going on here with Everton? Like, who are they bringing in? No marks." And Lee Carsley was unreal that season as well in the centre mid. So I just, I just I think that is probably like me proudest moment because um I expected nothing that season. Um not my proudest moment, but me you know, the best yeah. overall feeling of Everton, yeah. Um yeah, I'd probably say that the four coming forth at Moise and it was just the most corrupt game ever that we didn't yeah. get in the Champions League so yeah yeah uh, another referee who got away with that one and is lauded as one of the best referees of all time now even though he was just absolutely done us out of, of being in a European competition uh, no I, I agree look again like I said I was a little bit too young to fully remember that Moyes season but what I remember from seeing it and, and re-seeing it and talking about the games is there was a lot of ground out 1-0 wins there was a lot of hard yeah. work and tough um, you know digging deep performances and whereas the Martinez season there wasn't any there wasn't a lot of that there was a lot of playing really good football and like you said mm. the Martinez season sort of reminds me of how things are at the moment don't want to jinx anything but it was like you going and you're expecting to win games of football you're going to Goodison and you're thinking we'll win today I remember the game against Arsenal in that season was just absolutely unbelievable it was one of the first times that um certainly in 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 recent history certainly you know it hadn't happened a lot prior to, to that game where 
it was all set up for, you know, Arsenal, Everton, who will win this, whoever wins this yeah. is basically in stop Ted is in good position to finish in the top four. And we went and we just absolutely battered them. It was a brilliant performance. It was it was absolutely fantastic. I remember the derby in that in that season. It was Lukaku's first season. He came in on loan, didn't he? Gareth Barry had come in and he was absolutely yeah. fantastic. James McCarthy had come in and was yeah. brilliant. So it was very much like that more season in terms of the signings that we brought in had an instant impact on the team and, yeah. and again similar to now with Carlo where the signings we've brought in have had an instant impact and we're sort of going into games even when we're playing with no striker against the decent Wolves side and thinking you know what um, well we should be thinking probably now you know what we can we can win these games we can win any game that we're in um, and like I said the, the, the hard for fight of, of that 2004-05 season under David Moyes was um, that we finished in the Champions League was you know it's great to see it. It's Everton, isn't it? You know, playing glamorous, glamorous, glamorous football is absolutely fantastic, and winning four or five one, or scoring at you know players scoring at six, or just absolutely blathering teams is, is brilliant to see. Um, but digging deep and getting a horrible one nil is is just as is, is good mm. for me, if not even more satisfying. Certainly, you know the the result against Sheffield United absolutely brilliant. Dead hard for dug deep gate Arsenal Chelsea. Dug deep, dead satisfying, and and you don't get me wrong, the results against um, Brighton and West Brom and West Ham in the cup earlier on in the season were great as well. But we're seeing sort of a mix of that at the moment, and and it leads us nicely into Carlo Ancelotti's Everton. He's been here a year, um, just over a year now. Uh, Jordan, I want to I throw a stat at you that I read the other day. I don't know if you've seen it on Twitter. Uh, apparently, it, well, uh, it's it's a stat, so it must be right. Um, it took Ronald Koeman, um, Sam Allardyce, and Marco Silva a combined total of over 550 days to win 10 away league games with Everton. It took Carlo oh, Ancelotti just over 350 days to win 10 away league games with Everton, and that's including a 101-day break due to COVID. So it shows yeah. the level of manager that we now have, doesn't it? The impact on the players that we have in the squad now. We'll go on to talking about AGM in a moment, which I think is big because Marcel Brands made a really important point about the squad size and, and the worth of the squad, which I want to talk about. But just... Carlo Everton under Carlo at the moment it's fantastic isn't it going and like I said games like the other day where you don't expect anything and we come out with a win yes it's going to be bad at times we're going to lose games and we're going to have setbacks but the future looks very very bright doesn't it yeah you know what Cam I mean I know you quickly mentioned Martinez there when we come fifth and that and you didn't want to jinx nothing but um, this is a different type of manager I mean yeah, this no, is yeah. he's, he, Carlo Ancelotti's elite I have got no qualms about him, but like I don't think we'll do it next season where we went bad under Martinez. Yeah, yeah. I don't think this will happen this time. I don't think um, if we don't win nothing with this fellow, we never will. And that is, that is the bottom line. Yeah. Um, I'm so happy that we got him. I wanted him when he first linked. I was just like, I want him over anyone, over Pochettino, anyone. He's the one I want because I've always respected Carlo Ancelotti. I thought he was the unluckiest manager in the world to get sacked by Chelsea. I mean, yeah. come second just won the league the year before and won the FA Cup and got sacked I mean I was just what's all that about Chelsea <laughs> you know for I mean? you isn't it yeah um, but yeah it's great it's great to watch and you know what I'm not just saying this now because we've won um, but I said it to my mates before the game I was like I'm confident we'll beat Wolves I, I just I don't fear teams I, yeah. like I, I, I think we're going to win or at least get a point out of every game you know? and I know we got beat by West Ham and stuff but it will happen. I'm not, I'm not going to be right every game, yeah. but I was pretty confident against Wolves, even when I uh, like Tosin might be starting and that. I know he didn't, um, 
I just thought Wolves aren't that great. Why is everyone like worrying? We're we're doing really well. Yeah. So he's filled me with a lot of confidence, and you know, he's, it sort of looks like he sorted that defence out. And when you say defensive, you know, we're not bladdering teams all the time. Sometimes I prefer them yeah. little, you know, getting a goal, you know, sitting back or maybe going two 0 up, and then just letting the other team play and not not coming anywhere near. I mean. I'm starting to appreciate as I get older, defend them more. Yeah, you know, and a lot of Italian managers like to play that way. And um, obviously, Carlo is an Italian yeah. manager, so I, I actually do like the defensive side of it these days. I mean, it's not all about like these journalists will have you believe that oh, you've got to play this footy and win five nil every game, and it's like yeah, that'd be great in an ideal world. But sometimes you've got to adapt, and it just shows how good of a tactician he is. I'm 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 made up with a mate. Yeah. No, spot on, spot on. And the reason why those those types of journalists and, and people in the media and pundits will talk about, oh, you know, we've got to play attacking football and you've got to have a go is because ultimately it's all an entertainment value at the moment, isn't it? People, yeah. pe- Because people pay £100 a month for Sky, £80 a month for BTO, however much it costs, probably about £300 in terms of everything all in for your sport packages. Um People want to be entertained. They don't want to see teams go out and grind out a 1-0 win. I couldn't care. As long as Everton are winning games of football, I don't care if it's we score in the 10th minute and then we defend our arse off for 80 minutes with 5% possession. I don't care as long as Everton are winning games of football. And you mentioned Carlo Ancelotti being a different kettle of fish to anything that we've had, especially the Martinez season. And I agree absolutely, Joe, that he, he is a different level. And we've seen so many different changes at Everton Football Club in the year that he's been here. In terms of even the mentality of fans, used to go into an away game and doesn't matter who we played, whether we played Tottenham, Liverpool, Sheffield United, Norwich, Arsenal or the Sunday League team down the road, if we were playing away, you always knew we're probably not going to win this game. If we can Mm. get a point, then that's okay, but we're probably not going to win. Now we go away and you're expecting a win. You'd expect, and, and I know you could say, oh, well, the, the COVID and the no fans and this, that, the other. And that, you know, yes, that probably has had an effect. And you've seen that with playing at Goodison as well. I actually think if we had fans at Goodison, would be a lot better. Would we have beat Chelsea at Goodison Park without the 2,000 fans there a couple of months ago? I don't know. Would we have beat West Ham a couple of weeks ago with fans at Goodison? Maybe, yeah. Maybe we we'd have, you know, wouldn't have won some of the away games. But what we're seeing is a difference in mentality. Is we're now going into away games, which is one point, thinking we'll win this or we're better than these, so we'll win. Doesn't matter where we're playing. Doesn't matter who we're playing. If we're better than them, we'll win. And Carlo has been very vocal in that, hasn't he, George? In terms of, you know, he hasn't said that directly about away games, but he said something about James Rodriguez when he joined which made me think that's his philosophy for games of football as well he was asked about James settling into the Premier League how long will he take to settle in will it be a period and he said what are you talking about settling in he's playing the same game there's 22 men on the field there's one ball the aim is to score goals doesn't matter where he's playing he's playing football he's not playing tennis he's not playing basketball so it's the same and I think Carlo sort of adopts that in the team talks with the sides as to say yet you're playing two hours down the road to where you'd usually play but it's the same size pitch it's the same goal it's the same ball you're better than these go out and win and and we're seeing that again in terms of Everton you know before Carlo Ancelotti conceding a goal and their heads would drop be it going 1-0 down or you know it being 1-0 up and conceding and then losing that game usually if we conceded the goal we'd need to be 4-0 4-0 up before you realistically sat back on your couch and went, we've won this. Everton could be 2-0 up in the last 20 minutes of a game and you'd still think, we haven't won this. And maybe you still feel like that now because it's Everton and that's been Everton for the last well, last 22 years of my life. But now under Carlo, we're scoring and we're either keeping a, 
absolutely unbelievable defensive line and going out and winning that game 1-0 or we might concede again but then we go up the other end and score like we did against Wolves and we make it 2-1 and then we and then we keep a, a strong defensive line I haven't seen us <clears throat> so defensively strong for a long time I, I, in yeah. fact since David Moyes I don't think we've been this defensively good another thing I want to mention with Carlo as well and I want to see if you'd agree Tom is it uh, Tom George is options <laughs> I've got Tom in, in my head there I don't know why uh, is options um Obviously, we started the season with uh, Dean, Coleman, Mina and Keane as a back four. We had uh, Gomez, Alan and Decore playing in the middle. We had Hamed, Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin playing up front. We batted everyone. We won seven out of seven. We scored about 40 goals. It was great. We then went into the derby. Yeah, Richarlison got a red card, so he was suspended. Um, and, you know, uh, we had we had to make some changes for the next games. We then went on a bit of a bad run of form. We lost to Southampton, Newcastle, Man United... We'd be Fulham, we lost to Leeds, Burnley. We then come out of that bad form with a win against Chelsea. Carlo changed it. He put Ben Goffrey at left-back, which I think everybody at the time thought, what? Well, ben Goffrey's a centre-half. He had uh, Mason Allgate at right-back. We went out for three or four weeks after that. We were absolutely excellent. We were brilliant. So good. Fantastic. You know, strong defensively. Going forward, we were scoring enough. We then lost the game to West Ham, which was a disappointment. We come back for the Wolves game. And he's got Luca Dean back fit, but he sort of, because of how good of a manager he is, I think he's looked at that and gone, well, Adama Traore will probably be playing in this game. And I don't really yeah. fancy Adama Traore's pace against Luca Dean. So I'll put Ben Goffey left back and I'll move Luca Dean forward, which I don't know why, but I've never thought about doing before. But it makes so much sense because of how good Luca Dean is. Uh, and that worked. Luca Dean gets an assist in the first 10 minutes and Ben Goffey's solid. It's so important to have a manager with that experience, isn't it, George? Is to have yeah. a plan A, a plan B, a plan C. Because so many times in the past we've been used to, if plan A doesn't work, we've lost. And you may as well just turn your telly off because it's not going to happen. Whereas now we can change it. We can put players in different positions. And Carlo is doing this with a squad that, other than four players, let's be honest, 18 months ago we all sat here and went, we're going down here. We're, we're going down, we're not good enough. It's the same squad. Look at the performances. It, it, I put a tweet out, I don't know if you've seen it, George, the other day. Um, but I said, the, it's it's so, so testament to this team and how well Carlo Ancelotti has done in Everton in the year he's been here. Is that you, you, you've got an argument as to who is our most improved player. Michael Keane, before Carlo, a lot of fans were saying, get him out, he's not good enough. Now, unbelievable. Yeri mm-hmm. Mina, very, very solid. Certainly recently, he's been brilliant. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, we all know about Dom. Alex Awobi recently has been fantastic. This is all direct... And it's not all down to Carlo because Dom's form and <clears throat> Alex Awobi's form and Michael Keane are down to the players wanting to play and improving themselves. But having a manager like Carlo is, is a big, 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 big reason as to why we've improved, haven't we, as a squad. And the fact that we're even in a conversation for Champions League is at, in January just makes me want to fall off my chair. Yeah, you just just said it, mate. That is, they're not going to look at Carlo Ardi and go, "What's he on about?" Because he's got everything to back it up, and yeah. obviously the players are listening to him. And I'm glad you mentioned Michael Keane there. By the way, I just quickly want to say, I think he's probably been my player of the season. Yeah. I know Dom scored eleven goals and stuff, and even more in the cup. But for me, that man has been so consistent at the back. Um, watching the other night and his passing. I've never seen him pass like that before till this season. Like yeah. playing these long range passes everywhere and pinpoint as well. Like, sorry, pinpoint as well on players' feet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were like, they weren't just like, oh, I'll give it. To, they were like important passes that found every player. So yeah, everyone. 
look, there's been a lot of player improvements. Jerry Mira, another one. I think they've got a great little partnership there. Yeah. Now, um, testament to Carlo for doing this. I mean, he, look, he, he said to Dom, just stay in the box and it's worked. Yeah. Um, and when you were saying before about him, about Rodriguez, and I remember it was after the match of the day, I think, and someone interviewed him, and he, he was saying, oh, what was your thing and all this? And he went, yeah, I've got tactics in that, but football is not complicated. It's, yeah. In fact, it's very simple. And that is just confidence, isn't it? Proper confidence oozing out of him. And I think it, it, I think that leaks through to the players as well, that confidence. And I'm, I'm just... Uh, yeah, and like you said, about you know changing the formation, not the formation, but players' positions. I'm not a big fan of players playing out of position and never have been, like, centre-mids on the wing and stuff like I that. But, but... At the start of the season, we had Ben Godfrey as an option for centre-half. And now he's sort of turned him into this player where if Lucas Dean, if Luca Dean gets injured, all right, it's a big blow, but you're not like overly that bothered because you just go, yeah, Godfrey's son, go there, go left-back yeah. for us. So <laughs> he's sort of made these players adapt. And yeah. they're not technically, they're not really out of position because he's made them adapt to two different positions, the way he's handled them. If you get what I mean, I mean, like, all right, Go back to Martinez throwing Tom Cleverley on the on the wing there. He's never a winger. No. But I think if that was Carlo, he probably would have worked with the midfielder to work on the wing, if you yeah. get what I'm saying. Yeah. Like he has with Godfrey at left-back and Hull... All right, I know Holgate played right-back for West Brom, but I think he's probably worked with them yeah. and what they should do in them positions instead of just going, do you mind going on the wing for us this week? Yeah, no, or, definitely. Or, do you mind going left-back for us this week? He's probably worked with them properly and knows what to say to them. Yeah, definitely 100%, mate, 100%. I completely agree, and I think um, I think Alex Awobi alluded to it when he played right wing-back against Fulham, and he was sort of asked, I think, after the game, what's that about? And he said, well, the manager's had me in all week practising playing in this position, yeah. so I'm more comfortable playing in this position. You're spot on. I, again, I don't want to go into previous managers, but I do agree. I think sometimes under previous managers, be it Martinez, Koeman, we lined up on the day. The players got told, yeah, come to be at Goodison Park, you're playing, or you're being involved and then they're probably crocked up thinking is right I'll play centre mid the weekend brilliant and Koeman's gone you're playing left back today and it's been like well obviously I'm not going to perform because I'm not a left back whereas under Ancelotti there's a lot more thought there's a lot it's a lot more careful there's a lot more planning into it and that's showing in players performances Ben Godfrey honest to god mate but people fans that aren't Everton fans and don't know a lot about football will probably look at Ben Godfrey and think he's a natural left back if you said to a um non-Everton fan who doesn't watch English football let's say or a, a, you know maybe a Spanish football fan who doesn't watch English football and you showed them a video of Ben Godfrey playing against Chelsea and you said do you think that's his natural position at left back they'd go yeah he's dead good there he's comfortable on the ball he's breaking down the wing he's defensively solid isn't that he, he hasn't played in his natural position his natural position is centre half he's played there once this season in a four against um Rotherham in the cup the other day. Rotherham, yeah. Rotherham. Every other time he's played centre-half, he's been in the three, which I don't like because I don't think they understand it as much. And I think Mina mm. and Keane in the two are absolutely unbelievable. He's played right-back at times and he's played left-back. And he's been exceptional in every game that he's played. Same with Alex Awobi. When he's moved to the right, he's been brilliant. Again, he got his goal the other day, which I think... I don't even think he's had as much... Um, credit for as he deserves it's a fantastic finish it's an absolutely unbelievable finish and this confidence is coming from Carlo isn't it George and do you also think the realism from Carlo ultimately is um, you know is a big big sort of important point as to where we are because obviously it was very easy for us to all get caught up 
you know, at the start of the season about where we're going to finish and when we went on a seven win, you know, uh, running, sorry, win streak, four out of four in the league, he'd won manager of the month, we were top of the league, it was great. Recently, we went on that run where we beat uh, Chelsea, Leicester, Arsenal, Sheffield United, and it was very good. But Carlo has come out, and let's be honest, we all said at the start of the season, this is a transition season. If we finish in the top eight, great. This is a transition season, we've still got too many players in the squad that aren't good enough, too many players that are collecting a wage that aren't even going to be involved, that need to be moved on, and not enough quality. Now, at times this season, myself, probably you, Jordan, I can't speak on behalf of you, but I'm sure you've felt this, I've sort of felt like, what if, maybe we can get in the Champions League, maybe we can win the league, well, you've got Carlo, we've got these players, it's brilliant. But then we've been stuck with the defeat to Southampton, the defeat to West Ham. And there has been at times, and, and you know, I get it because emotion's involved and when you, you've you got this belief and you've got this sort of vision and then it's struck down, there has been times where we've gone, oh, we're not this good, we're not that, we're not the other. Carlo has always come out, even when we've been playing well. He'd done it at the start of the season when we went, I think, three out of three. Uh, we come up against Brighton, who were in poor form at the time, they hadn't started well. And he was asked, oh, could you go on and win it? And he went, we're in a bubble at the moment of positivity. We've won every game, it's been brilliant. That bubble will pop. And when that bubbles pop, that bubble pops, we have to be able to react. And what he meant there was we'll lose a game and we have to be able to react. He was asked there after the Wolves game, I think, about finishing in the Champions League. And he but he come out and said, I don't think we're ready to finish in the Champions League because I think there's four or more teams better than us. Now, we may finish in the Champions League. It's a very open season and it will be a massive achievement if we do. But do you think the fact that Carlo Ancelotti is coming out and being realistic and saying to fans, look, we've got a very good team. We want to fight for the Europa League. We will be in the Champions League within the next couple of years, but it's not all going to be done this season. There's four other teams better than us. The bubble will pop. We'll lose games of football. We're not the best. We need to improve. Do you think that that ultimately, again is even more of a reason for fans to sort of be so happy at the moment being an Evertonian is we haven't got a manager that one minute says, yeah, you know, we could finish in the Champions League, we've got the squad, and then the next week say, oh, we haven't really got the squad, this, that, the other. He's being consistent in his message, hasn't he? Yeah, it, I think it is very important because fans don't want to... He doesn't want to let the fans down, does he? I mean, he, he's not going to come out and go, oh, yeah, we can get tough, but he's not... He's been there before, he's done it. Yeah. He knows how to handle media. And I just think, it, yeah... He's not, he basically doesn't want to build build the fans' hopes up, does he? Yeah. However, um, maybe he quietly thinks we can get in the top four, I don't know. <laughs> or maybe he is just being totally honest. Because yeah. I would say there's probably four teams better than us at the minute. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think I do. I'm glad the way he's handled it. I mean, when he said it, I was like, yeah, we're not going to win every game. And, you know, it, there will be bumps in the road. And I just have to agree with what he said. Yeah. Um, there's, there's always going to be that unless you're a top level team like you know Bar when Barcelona were you know yeah. when they were amazing Bayern Munich yeah you know some of the best teams you've seen unless you're one of them mate, you can't just go out and say we're going to win every game and obviously the bubble is going to burst and we're he's, look he signed four players really hasn't he? well yeah. I know he signed on Conku as well um, but four main team players you can't just turn a whole squad round in one season like that. Yeah. It's very rare. No. So he's just being level-headed and staying grounded, and I'm happy he's doing that. Yeah. I don't want him to get carried away, in all honesty. And it, it just keeps the fans' expectations, you know, stop shooting through the roof, really, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think he's handled it well. 
Yeah. Spot on, spot on. You mentioned something there when you, when you started uh, about the media, and I, I actually think this is a massive, 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 um, you know, sort of important feature if you like in employing managers in this modern day and age of football. You need a manager who can sit in front of the media, both when it's going well and when it's not going well, and face them, and you know, ultimately play them at their own game, really, because they're gonna get asked hard questions. They're gonna be tied to tied in a knot, and I'm, you know, made walk down a certain path to say a certain thing and in previous years we've had managers who haven't been able to manage the media they've said one thing one week said another thing the next week they've been inconsistent in the message or you know they've struggled to answer the question yeah. Carlo Ancelotti is one of the best managers not just Everton one of the best managers I've ever seen at basically given the media very little to work with in press conferences I remember Paul Joyce coming out and saying oh why did you mention Virgil van Dijk with the hammers are you point scoring and he said I'm not point scoring Virgil van Dijk injured hammers that's why I meant mentioned it and Paul Joyce sort of just sort of went back in his seat and was like oh okay like you said about the Hammers situation he was asked about Hammers settling into the Premier League and he said I told you last week he doesn't need time to settle he's a brilliant footballer he'd be brilliant wherever he goes he's not playing a different sport and you know again some people might view that as being disrespectful but what he is is he's not allowing the media and he never has and that comes with experience and the amount of trophies that he's won and where he's been and what he's seen and his experience as a player as well is that he's not going to be allowed to be led down a corner he's not going to be allowed to let down a certain path because he knows full well in all of the countries that he's worked in he's worked in Italy he's worked in France he's worked in Spain he's worked in England all of those countries come with a different pressure from the media I know I think Spanish media is, is quite um, is puts a lot of pressure on managers when they're losing games of football so he knows how to deal with that he isn't going to be sat and, and, and walked into a certain corner and, and made to say a certain sentence that's going to be plastered all over the newspaper the next morning he's going to say it how it is and he's going to basically he, he's going to say you know the, the situation that he wants and how he wants it to come across he done it last week with Calvert-Lewin he was asked what's the, the uh, do we know how long Calvert-Lewin will be no what's the Injury, hamstring injury. That was it. Didn't give out. Didn't give anything mm. else. Bar that, when he was asked about Hammers, he, um, I think I can't remember which journalist it was, but he said, uh, "Carlo, you, you said that Hammers would only be out for a week or so. He's missed four games now. What's the situation there?" And he said, "He's missed four games because we played three in a week. He's been out for two weeks, <laughs> a little bit longer. He'll be back soon." He puts, um, he puts journalists back in the place in the nicest possible way. He, does. like, he doesn't. He doesn't get them going against them. No, he, he just... does it respectfully. <laughs> yeah, I think he does it to the point where works. they sit back and they go, you know what, I'm not going to be able to yeah. put this man in. I'm not going to be able to get what I want out of him. I'm just going to get what he wants. And that that's yeah. so important in modern-day football. It's so, so important because as soon as the media starts turning against the manager and the manager starts saying things mm. that the media misconstrue or that the manager might say something that is, you know, the media don't have to misconstrue and they just say, there's the headline, that's what he said. Then his pressure comes and then the uh, obviously uh, he spoke a lot about pressure, Carlo Ancelotti, since he's been in Everton and he said he doesn't believe managers have pressure. He, you know, ultimately every manager has pressure but he's paid to do a job and he, he's come to do a job. He's never really, you know, he's never been vocal about being under pressure or whatever, even when we've been winning, and I said about the the talking about the bubble popping. He's always said those quotes, George. When we've been winning games, we've all when, when, he hasn't come out and said at the end of a loss. Well, yeah, well I said that this bubble would pop, or we were always going to lose a game. He's come out when we've been in fantastic form, and he's been asked, "Can you win the league? Can you play win the Champions League?" And every time he's gone, look. 
we've got a long way to go, there's 14th better than us at the minute, or this bubble will pop. So that way fans listen to that, and they might go, ah, oh, it's a bit of a Debbie Downer, but ultimately when we lose, they go, well, Carlo did say it after we won, and we're all sitting here going, well, Carlo did say we'd lose games, he did say it's a transition season, he did say that these things will happen, so it just is, it's... It's that expectation, isn't it? And as fans with the emotion, maybe the expectation does go through the roof a little bit when we're winning and we're beating Tottenham away from home for the first time in however many years. But it's important that we do realise that Carlo has had one transfer window. And I do want to go on to talk about that a little bit later on in the podcast. And that one transfer window, he's already brought in the quality that is even putting us in the conversation for Champions League at the moment. Yeah. Just just quickly, when you mentioned the Tottenham game there, I thought that was a very, very mental... Yeah. So important mental block to get past and I'm made that we done that because I <laughs> was so sick of going to these top six guys, top six teams and just rolling over or not being able to get it over the line and I thought that was very important and I'm made up we just got it out the way first game of the season. Yeah. Um yeah, that that is one stumbling block that we have to get past. So yeah, I agree. Just happy with that. <laughs> no, I agree. And look at the look at the top sides that we've played this season per se. I mean, we haven't done well against Manchester United, granted, so I'll put them aside, but got a point against Liverpool. Wasn't But I mean no is 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 away like I, Oh no, I agree. Yeah. I agree completely. No, I agree. Again, I don't think we'd won in London for however many years. We certainly hadn't won in um in at Tottenham for about, I think about 12 years or something like that we hadn't won against a big six sides since the Roberto Martinez winner at Old Trafford against Manchester United so no I, I agree completely um, but like I said look at the look at the wins that we've had over them teams this season we beat Chelsea we beat Arsenal who were one of the big six if you like. we beat Leicester who some would say are now in there we beat Tottenham away from home um, we haven't played City yet we lost to Manchester United okay we drew at Liverpool which is about time we got some luck in a Merseyside derby so you can see the results are changing and, and ultimately with the changing against those big sides but they're also changing in those games that you look at and go we should go out and win today and you know what that means we're not going to go out and win You've, I think you've spoke before on Twitter Jordan about the Everton that mentality and fans going into games going oh Sheffield United haven't won a game this season time for Everton yeah. this that the other and just completely eradicating that because the new time for Everton is yeah we'll turn up and we'll beat them because they're crap they've been crap all season so we'll just beat them like we have with every other team that mentality change within the fans is massive as well isn't it George we have a yeah. responsibility to not expect Everton to lose because notoriously in previous years we've lost those games because it's different now I'm glad you asked that mate I mean I'm sorry if any of these people who are watching who put that meme up and that, but, um I just hate it. I, I hate this time for Everton thing and all that. Whenever look, you can say what you say doesn't affect the game in whatsoever what you put on Twitter. But I believe in a way it does. It trickles down. It trickles yeah. through the fan base and everything. Um, and we just need to get out of that. And um, Carlo is, I believe, slowly doing it. Yeah. Um, all right, you still had the odd person saying Ryan Buster's going to score his first goal or. Sheffield United are going to win the first game. You know it's going to be one 0 but then you don't hear from them people afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> so no. I think we 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 need to jib it. Yeah. Just just stop it now. <laughs> we do it ultimately. We why why won't we have confidence going into any game of football? We've just beat a Wolves side who are very good at home and very strong. Okay, they haven't had a great season this season, but still a very strong team with Gilfie Sigurdsson playing up front. We beat Tottenham early on in the season with three players starting who hadn't even been at the club a week. James Rodriguez hadn't even been in the country for 10 days and he started and he was excellent. The Corey had been here four days. Alan had been here just, I think, a week on 
the day and they all played and they all beat Tottenham comfortably. We need, we do need to change that mentality and I do think it's changing now. I do think we're going into more games saying we should beat these and we've got every confidence that we'll win. Um, but you're right, I don't like that. I don't like the, oh, you know what's going to happen. And it's because, I don't like it because it's been proven so many times in the past. You know, the Villa game last but it, season. But it's also, it's also been not proven as well. Like the yeah, Sheffield United. There's a lot of times where people say this and it doesn't happen. Yeah. So, look, I, look, maybe, look, I'm not fully having a go at people who do that because maybe they just need someone like Carlo to come in and change that. Yeah. Um, that's ultimately what probably what they need because for years we haven't won nothing. Yeah. And yeah, it has happened on a few occasions. It has on quite a few occasions but there's also a lot of times it hasn't happened as well so I think we just need to you know try and get a bit of confidence back into the team now and I think this is the best we've been for a long time since what Martin is his first season so Let's, I hope we can just all as a fan base start believing again really Yeah, it's also the most stable we've been in a long time as well and, and the future and before we move on to Carlo I want to talk about Carlo as a person and his love for Everton ultimately but no you're right 100% I mean I meant like previous to Carlo it, it was proven like the Villa game with Silver Everton have got the chance to go top for the first time in however many years we lose now two games into the season we had a chance to go top and we didn't even talk about it we just won and then we won the next game and then we won the next game and we come into a Merseyside derby top of the league in October uh, middle of October we're now in January with one point off a side I was talking to Tom on the live stream um, a couple of days ago George and he said look at the difference We've just, we spoke before about the away stat and, and how many uh, games it's took Carlo to win 10 away games with Everton another unbelievable stat that Tom brought up the other day that we spoke about is there was a 50-point gap between Everton and Liverpool at the end of last season. Yeah. A 50-point gap. We're one point behind them now. And I know the season isn't over and still a lot can happen, but that we were never a point behind Liverpool at any point in the season last season. That shows how, how much we've, we've progressed. And ultimately, we do need to eradicate going into any game with any negativity because if we were going into any game with any negativity, it'd be in the Wolves game when we were playing with Gilfie Sigurdsson up front and we went out and won it. So what? 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 Why should we not go into any game? Now I'm not saying go into any game thinking, oh, we'll definitely win this because obviously we won't. We'll lose games. We'll lose games that we play our best team and you think this will be a piece of piss. This this will be dead easy. We'll win this. We'll lose it because it's a transition season. We're one, not even a season in under Carlo, a year in. First full season, like you said, four transfers made. Um, one of them being alone, and obviously in Kunku coming in, but he, he come in as an under twenty threes player who's had uh, first team experience because Leighton Baines um, retired. So we have to absolutely be positive, and it needs to be that mentality shift now of Everton are playing again today. Expect to go out and win the game because that that's ultimately yeah. Everton. Uh, before we move on, then I would talk about the AGM and and um, obviously I do want to get into your channel because I just think it's brilliant, mate. I just love watching the videos <laughs> constantly. Um, uh, Carlo Ancelotti as a person, mate. A lot of people had questions about Carlo Ancelotti. Still to this day, you're seeing silly transfer rumours. Oh, Chelsea will sack Frank Lampard and Carlo Ancelotti's already packed his bags. They're not coming from Evertonians. They're coming from idiots. Idiot fans who, who think that Carlo would just pick up his bags and walk <laughs> and go back. It is. It's laughable, isn't it? But I'm seeing that on Twitter. And you, those things used to frustrate me. Whereas now I look at them and I just go... I feel sorry for whoever's making mm. that crap up in their bedroom. Why would you make that crap? It just makes no sense. But Carlo as a person is coming to Everton and, and taking away from those 
obviously those 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 conversations at the moment are a load of crap because we know what Carlo said. But when he first came in, there was a lot of people. He's only not Evertonians, but a lot of people from the media and different fans. He's only here for the last payday. He won't be here for very long. He only stays for two years at the football club. This, that, and the other. That is all all being proven wrong. Sorry, since Carlo has, Ancelotti has come in at Everton, he spoke about his love for Crosby. And how much he absolutely adores living in Crosby. Every time he's asked about... I think he done an interview with... I want to say Forbes, but it mightn't have been Forbes. It might have been another one of those massive magazines. And he basically was asked about life in Everton. And he spent about half an hour talking about Crosby Beach. And how amazing Crosby is. And how you've got to come to Crosby to whoever he was talking yeah. to. Carlo loves this football club, doesn't he? I think Carlo has found the perfect club for him. It's a family club. Uh, it, you know, the fa- the, we're, we're a family as fans. We all go the game in numbers. You've seen the first game Carlo attended before he was manager, the, the game, uh, game against Arsenal, when the, the roar of the fans, you can see him saying, wow, to, to, to Farah mm. Mashiri. He fell in love with this football club as much as we fell in love with Carlo. Uh, and I think... I, I am confident that he'll be here for even past his contact. I think he wants this to be his last job, personally. Do you agree? Yeah. Goes back to what you were saying at the start, mate, at the very start of this podcast. Um, once Everton touches you, I'm just hoping that's the case with Carlo. It does look to be the case. <laughs> Looks very happy. Says he's up here for the... He wants to be here for the long run. That's what we wanted here. Yeah. Hopefully it all goes well and he will stay here for the long run. I really... You know, at the minute, that's what I wanted here. I mean... Hopefully it can carry on happening on the pitch and we can carry on improving. I'm sure we will under him. Um, but yeah, as a person, mate, you can't dislike him. I don't even think rival fans can dislike him. How could you? You know what I mean? It's just very humble guy and knows football. Absolute yeah. genius. So yeah, he's got the personality and he's got the, the managerial ability. So yeah. you can't dislike him, mate. He's just... He's a wonderful man. Yeah, he is. He is an absolutely <laughs> wonderful man, and, and he's a wonderful man who has fell in love with our wonderful football yeah. club, and, and that is such a good combination to have. To have a manager with the experience of Carlo, with the um, obviously the trophy cabinet that Carlo has, with the contacts that he's got for bringing players in, that's all well and good, but if he's got no passion, no love behind the job, then you'll start to slowly see that yeah. and things will fizzle out. To have a manager like Carlo with the love and the passion and the energy and the want to win and the belief that Carlo has got, it's only positive things going forward and I absolutely yeah. cannot wait for um, for the future. Um, I want to move on then. I just love, just sorry, on, really quickly, I just love that fact that he went to a bit of stand. <laughs> Literally within a week, within a week of him being an Evertonian, <laughs> uh, being at Everton, he was pictured in the stand with a fan. It's the get. It, I think he's fell in love with the city as well. If I'm being honest with you, Carlo is, comes across like a manager who doesn't want to be in his out. You know, a lot of people around football, probably footballers, managers, go to train and come home and probably spend a lot of time at home. So they should be doing now, by the way, because of what's with the restrictions and stuff. But just generally, they probably spend a lot of time at home because they know if they go out, they'll get mobbed. They don't want potentially want to be uh, you know hassled or whatever. Carlo isn't like that. He appears to me like he just wants to get out there, see the city, see what it's got to offer, and in doing. That he's fell in love with it. Yeah. Um. I, I like. I don't want to bring ex-managers up and stuff, but uh, like the time Marco Silva was here, I, I I didn't mind Marco Silva. Ultimately, it went the job for him. Yeah. But I'm just saying, Ancelotti, within a week or two, connected with the Everton fans more than he ever did. Yeah. So it just shows, like you know, and and Cuban, you know, he, he's connected with this club in more than one way. 
sorry, in the many of ways than their managers ever did. And that's a, I think that's a big thing. Like we were talking about our favourite players before, Figs and Kale. Not only were they good players, but they got the club and stuff. And I think Carlo is definitely warm to Everton. So. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. There. No, no, spot on. Absolutely, that's a really important point, mate. It's a really important point. You're absolutely spot on. I agree. I agree. I think when you look back at Marco Silva's time or Ronald Koeman's time at the football club, um, they didn't really get everything. They didn't understand it. I don't. Again, I don't mind Marco Silva. Uh, Marco Silva. I thought he was an alright bloke. He seemed like a decent bloke. Wasn't like you said. Wasn't the right man for the job. Uh, far too big of a job for him. But I don't hate him. I don't dislike him. I think he was an alright fella. But. He never connected on that level with Evertonians like Carlo has done, and, and Carlo really seems to love this club and love this city and love the fans and love the players, and he wants the best for this club. And you've got yeah. a manager who's won four of the top five leagues in European football, won the Champions League multiple times, won world's best manager multiple times, and he's in love with your football club and wants your mm. football to, club to con- uh, to succeed. Then, obviously. Uh, it's it's it, you know it's a positive and it, it's going to be very very important going forward. Um, moving on then swiftly football at the uh, at the moment. Um, obviously we're in a very very interesting time at the moment. Um, you know with what's going on with with um, you know COVID restrictions and stuff like that. No fans allowed in stadiums again, which is very disappointing of course after having two thousand fans, but understandable. Um, obviously Everton have had two games postponed in recent weeks. Uh, the Manchester City game and then the Villa game, which was due to be played on Sunday. The Sheffield Wednesday game in a couple of weeks is still going ahead. However, Sheffield Wednesday have had two of their next championship fixtures postponed due to a COVID outbreak. It's sort of... Yeah, (laughs) they've they've had two. So that's still going ahead because it's the cup and it's different rules, but it's maybe something just worth noting just in in build-up to the game. Um, obviously, there's been a lot over the last 72 hours, uh, sorry, 48 hours, about football players celebrating. I think the EFL have released new guidance today, which says that they can't spit or shake hands or celebrate, etc., etc. Um, I don't know about you, mate, but I've got this horrible feeling uh, that this is going one way, and that's, at the very least, a break in football. I think they'll probably say we'll have a two-week break and then we'll come back uh, or we'll, we'll attempt to come back and then if you know ultimately it'll be reviewed after the two weeks i don't know if you feel the same or you think they'll just put the measures in place to ultimately stop the spread because you know when football first returned we were seeing what five or six positive tests uh out of all of the premier league clubs now we're seeing double figures quite high double figures as well um what what what's your sort of take on that on football at the moment and ultimately do you think do you agree do you think that it's probably going to get postponed or suspended again because ultimately you look at it now and you think Everton play Aston Villa and Manchester City now towards the back end of the season Aston Villa are going to have about five games to play now Aston Villa might be yeah. within a Champions League challenging place or a Europa League challenging place more likely and they might they'll they'll have to play Saturday. Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, and at the end of the season, that fatigue's going to catch up on them, and, and that ultimately isn't fair, because they've had to shut their training ground down um, because of, of a COVID outbreak. And also, just an added question to that, mate, um, football players breaking COVID rules, you've seen a, li- a whole host of football players having parties and Christmas parties with each other and all sorts of wild parties that we're not going to specifically talk about with specific Manchester City players. Um do you think there just needs to be a little bit more uh, punishment for that? Because it just seems like those players are getting told, don't do that again, a slap on the wrist and a 10 grand fine, which, let's be honest, is petzel for them. Um, because ultimately, 
cases are rising, more and more games are being postponed, and it, it just isn't in a great situation at the moment, is it? Uh, first of all, will football get postponed? I wouldn't be surprised. There's already managers coming out now saying it needs to carry on and all that. So there is talk of it yeah. in the football world. So yeah. um, I, I've got a feeling that they won't, but I wouldn't be surprised if they do, if you get me. Um, I think, just quickly on the celebrating thing, I think you're opening a can of worms there because if they stop celebrations, some players will probably forget or can't hold their emotions if yeah. they've just scored a last minute winner yeah. and if they celebrate everyone's just going to come down on them like a ton of bricks because you're not allowed to do that yeah. and I think it's just opening more anger issues and stuff they're all next to each other on a corner anyway yeah. when the corner comes into the box so I don't really think that's a, a good rule to enforce in my opinion they're all negative before the game anyway so what is that going to do, apart yeah. from infuriate people if the odd celebration happens? I just don't get it. Uh, maybe it's a role model thing where people you know, see them on screen not doing it, so they're not going to do it. Yeah. So to get that a little bit. Um, but I think it'll do more harm than good, actually, <laughs> just because of pe- you know what people are like on social media and stuff. Yeah. You know, One player scores a last-minute winner, the door just going to start typing away on the keyboard. Yeah. Oh, I can't believe he's doing that. So I, I think it's a bit of a can of worms. Um the Man City game was Kyle Walker apparently I just think we should have been able to decide on that one because that is nothing to do with Everton yeah. so I thought it was handled pretty badly yeah. and if yeah. Everton wanted that game to go ahead then maybe it should have because that's not our fault that's Kyle Walker's fault and he's a, he is paid by Man City however Mm, there might have been players in the camp who might have shown up in them. I don't know how it works, the test, and I don't know if it could say negative and you'd actually have got it and it doesn't show up till hours later. I don't know how it works, but um, I think that probably should have been up to Everton, that one, to be honest. I, I think um, it was like a, a punishment to make it go ahead for Man City, if you get me. Yeah, well, in yeah, a way, I, I, I don't know if you agree with that. Like. No, I, I agree, and ultimately, I, I think the Man City one, um, and what we've seen differently with the Villa situation is that we had no involvement in the Manchester City game. I woke up on that day thinking Everton are playing Man City tonight. It's a big chance to win. It's going to be difficult because of fitness levels, and we only played a couple of days ago. And I still had that feeling at four or five o'clock when I, you know, finished work. I was getting ready to sit down, watch the match. I had, was getting ready to do the instant match reaction, the player ratings on the Mighty Blues. Um, um, and we sort of found out two hours before kickoff that this game wasn't happening. Now, we knew there was issues with COVID at Manchester City, Kyle Walker and Gabriel Jesus, we found out on Christmas Day, were a test of positive. But as far as I was concerned, they were the only two players. And there'd been Premier League teams with two or three players out prior to that that had continued their games of football. So I think it, it was the fact that there was no communication. Like you said, it was handled dreadfully. Absolutely handled. To say that... This is Premier League football, not Sunday League football. It's not like you can turn up on a day, phone a player from the other team and then say, oh yeah, we're not turning up today, lads, and you just can go, it's right, we'll go on, get a bath, you know, have a scan. It's not, that's not it. This is Premier League football. We'd have had to employ stewards, um, you know, health and safety coordinators, 
uh, ambulance workers, the chefs, the there'd been about 200, 250 people that had been at Goodison Park or at least ready to go to Goodison Park for that game as well as the players who will have trained at their team meetings, at their team talks, this, that, the other, got themselves ready for that game. For it to then be said, oh yeah, by the way, this game isn't on and Everton to not be in that conversation, it was absolutely shocking and Everton absolutely, by the way, had the, were in the right to request why that game wasn't suspended. Okay, it wasn't sort of uh, gone ahead, sorry, okay, it didn't go ahead because there was a COVID outbreak and it was within the, the um, you know, the best sort of man to, to keep everybody as safe as possible sound no issue with that if it, you know safety is paramount and safety comes first absolutely fine but you've got to you've there's got to be communication you have to tell the team that are hosting the fixture that there's a possibility that it mightn't go ahead that's what's different with the villa game we knew from them go on go on sorry go on i'll tell you in a minute no, i was just going to say that's what's different to the villa game aston villa asked the premier league on monday night can they postpone this game so we knew even going into tuesday's game against wolves that the game against villa mightn't be on i knew yesterday morning waking up this game ain't happening i'm not doing a preview tomorrow because this game ain't happening tomorrow on sunday because it's going to get postponed so when it was postponed yesterday afternoon everton had been involved in the conversation the decision had been made by the premier league board we all knew that was happening and i think that's the that's the main difference uh, and we're seeing it more often, mate, and it's it's affecting specific teams. Aston Villa, like I said, listen, Everton will have to play Villa and City midweek towards the back end of the season. That's fine. You've also got the Euros coming up, which is a big talking point. They can't really afford to push the season back any longer because of the Euros. Um, Aston Villa are going to have to play two games a week, probably every week for the last six games of the se- six weeks of the season, which isn't really fair on them considering there's an outbreak that. Listen, I don't want to talk about who, who you know, the reason for the outbreak of Villa, because I don't know it. Um, but it just seems like it's going in one direction, doesn't it, mate, in terms of just saying it's not safe at the moment? Yeah, well, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if it did. But I just don't think the Premier League want to do it. I no. just don't think they want to postpone it. But if it gets worse and it looks like it is, then maybe they will. I mean, if more clubs start to... Asking to postpone games and stuff, they might just bring in a two-week break, and it might make sense in the end. Yeah. Um, to be honest, like you said, Villa gonna be playing loads of games towards the end of the season and stuff. Um, I just want to quickly touch on the City game. I thought it was hilarious the way it was all our fault. Yeah, yeah, it always is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it always um, is. To be honest, all week, I mean, I thought the game should have gone ahead because of us, but in the real ideal, I ideal world um, you shouldn't have that fixture anyway because it's a load of crap yeah. playing two days after Boxing Day it's yeah. just pathetic and it, again like you said it's all about the money which is the reason why the Premier League yeah. don't want to postpone the league or suspend it because then they lose money then people say oh I don't want to subscribe to Sky Sports now because I'm don't. i not bothered about cricket or rugby or whatever I'm just bothered about football so if there's no footy on we seen it happen with BT uh, earlier on last year when it, uh, the football was first suspended Um I think BT had to put something in place just to say that you can basically, if customers stay, they'll give them it for cheaper or something like that. Because that many customers were saying, well, I don't watch BT Sport for anything other than the football, so I'm cancelling my subscription. And they were losing a lot of money out on that. And those, let's not forget, by the way, I've said this a number of times and I'll say it again. 
The likes of Sky, the likes of BT, the likes of Amazon, they control the Premier League. They've got the money. They give the money to these to the, the clubs. They give the money to the Premier League. They have a say in what happens. And they'll be down the ear of the Premier League going, well, if you postpone this, then we lose out on hundreds of millions. And we might say, you know what? Next year, we're not going to give you as much to, to show games. We're not going to offer you as much because of that. So it's all about money and it's all about monetizing football. And ultimately... If people's safety is being put at risk, then surely that has to come before a penny in someone's pocket. But with the way football clubs are run at the moment and the money that's spent and transfers and all of that, it's hard to see that being a priority, even though it should be, isn't it, really? Unless Maybe the Premier League. Desperate. Maybe the Premier League should just go, all right, Sam, we're just going to do a streaming service then. Maybe. <laughs> that would make sense, wouldn't it? Why, why they haven't done it, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Um, it, it's just it's a difficult situation, like you said. It's a lot of. No, I, 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 I do agree about the uh, LPM first. Like I'm just saying, um, the Premier League should maybe not let them control it. If you get me. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, the Premier League come out the start this evening and said, no matter what the situation is, teams are playing. If you can field twelve yeah. players, you're playing. And I, and I, I didn't necessarily agree with that then because I, I listen. Last thing Everton wanted was to play Manchester City, who've had a COVID outbreak, and then Carlo Ancelotti pick up COVID or Dominic Calvert-Lewin pick up COVID. It's it's a very very serious matter, and that's the last thing Everton would have wanted slash needed. The problem I had with that was the lack of communication. Yeah. Um, and I don't have a problem with the, the Villa game being postponed. I understand it. I agree with it. Fine. Safety's first. And we do wish the best uh, recovery for those that have been affected. But I just think it seems like football's going in one direction. And that's the suspension of, of football again. Um, I want to talk briefly about the AGM then. Specifically Marcel Brands. And then I want to talk about your channel before we finish up, mate. Um, Marcel Brands confirmed at last night's general meeting that Everton spent six, just over £60 million on Abdoulaye Decore, Alan and Ben Godfrey. James Rodriguez was a free. Uh, Niles and Kunku cost £200,000 in compensation fees. And Robin Olsen come in on loan with uh, no loan fee. So free on loan. Um Unbelievable business, mate. For Carlo's first year in charge, first proper transfer window, let's be honest, I'm not counting last January. Unbelievable, unbelievable business. Um, Marcel Brands deserves a lot of credit, I think, mate. And Marcel Brands has come under criticism before at Everton. I also want to talk about something he mentioned about um, the squad depth. I want to get this absolutely right because I don't want to, uh, I don't want to mess it up. Uh, he said it was one of the most challenging and difficult windows ever, talking about the last one. He said, in 2018, we started with a squad of 40 players who represented the value of £311 million, an average value of £8.2 million per player. The current value of our 27-player squad is £456 million, an average of £16.9 million per player. And since June 2018, we have had more than 70 player exits. So practically, the squad has been reduced by 13 players and has added over 140 million pounds worth of, of, of worth in that squad and we've gotten rid of 70 players and he's also said that the priority for this window January is to get rid of more players which again yeah. we all sort of you know understood anyway the, the business in the summer was was unbelievable mate and Marcel Brands those stats alone show that Marcel Brands has done a fantastic job since he's been at Everton don't he yeah that is the best window we've had in a while um especially when you're uh, the prices like when i heard rodriguez was free i didn't believe it i was like no way is he been a free we're paid all right we might not have paid 20 like the papers are saying but we might have paid like 15 or something but he ain't a free and then i heard rumors that he'd give his old club some 
transfer fee that he didn't get. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I was like, hang on, is this real? And when he confirmed it last night, I was like, oh my god, that is. Maybe <laughs> look, patience is a virtue at times, isn't it? I mean, we were all worried that he weren't signing, but yeah. um, at the end of the day, he's done unreal business, unreal business to get him for nothing. And the dark horse of the transfer signing is Godfrey because. I thought he was going to be like a backup centre back, and he's got he has been brilliant for us. I mean, I mean, I just thought, oh yeah, we've had another centre back here, good business, young centre back, but he's just been brilliant. Yeah. He has surprised me so much, and yeah. Alan and Decore have been brilliant in midfield, especially Decore of late. Um, I think he's been in his best Everton form the last month. Yeah, the last month and a half, I think he's been great for us, especially with Alan missing. I mean, he sort of took over the midfield a little bit, and Alan is just. Fantastic. So I think I don't think he signed one bad player there. I know Nkunku is a youngster and looks like he's going to be good in the future. Yeah, he's they're the only players I think he signed for Everton. Aren't they? Is that right? Or probably Jared Brantley as well in there. Um, yeah, Brantley came in last right. January, I think, which was more of a Brands one than a an Ancelotti one. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't. Up to now, he's done great. He's brought some great players in, and for the price Brands got them for, he, he does deserve credit. All right, he's brought one or two players that haven't really turned out, but I think most of the bars he's done have been quite good, actually, when you think about it. I mean, a lot of questions over Yeri Mina, now he's in there with Michael Keane, so that's turned out to be a brilliant buy, I think. Yeah. Um, but 27 million, it's not that bad at all the way he's play, been playing this season. I've always liked Yeri Mina, any, I've always liked Yeri Mina anyway, but I think my Astro Brands has done it. Quite a decent job, and apart from one or two players, I I've got, I haven't really got a problem with Marcel Brands, and think he's done some good business for us. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. And and like you said, you know, it's about as much as it's about bringing in players, and obviously he's brought in the likes of Dean and Richarlison and Mina, and obviously Hammers and Alan and and Decore. It's also about getting rid of the players, and those seventy exits yeah. that we've seen since two thousand and eighteen are massive. And there's a lot more on the cards. Your Balassies, your Bessages, you know, your um. Your Cheng Tosin, your Walcott will probably leave and probably some players that are involved in the first team squad now will probably won't be a first team player or a player at Everton next season. Um but that that just really struck me when he said about the uh, increase in value of the squad and there's thirty. I should have mentioned players. that, sorry. <laughs> no, no, I, no, what what I'm saying, mate, is it just it, it made it makes you sick because it's very easy to look at Marcel Brands and go, Yeah, but he signed Delph. Yeah, okay, Delph hasn't worked. Yeah, we signed the Wobby. A Wobby's looking good, but yeah, there's an argument that he hasn't worked. Moise Keane, yeah, well, yeah, but it's not just about the players he's brought in, which, by the way, for every bad player, he's brought in two good players. Um, it's about those financial sort of situations that we mightn't look at as fans because we're not really asked about the value of the squad. We're not really asked about how many players we've got, but managers will be so, so, so bothered about that statistic there that we've reduced our squad and increased its value. That'll be massive to Carlo Ancelotti when he comes into Everton Football Club, and that's massive to Everton as a business and Everton's finances. Even though we've lost fat, we've lost money again this year because of COVID, and football's a business where you probably are always going to lose money because you're spending more than, than usually you're getting back. Um, I just think it's brilliant work by Marcel Brands, and I think he deserves yeah. to be applauded so so much for that. Uh, anyway, George, we spoke earlier on in the uh, podcast about the fact that Everton isn't your only passion. You're, you know, you obviously are a big, big, big movie fan, similar to myself, similar to probably a lot of people, because when you watch Everton for 
20, 30 plus years, you'd have to have something else where you can go and you can think, you know what, I'm just going to be a mage for an hour and a half and not have to think about that defeat. Um, although that's changing under Carlo. Your channel, Movie Worm, absolutely unbelievable YouTube channel. If you haven't checked out Jordan's channel and you're into films or TV or video games or anything like that, definitely go and check Jordan's channel out. I think most people are into films and television shows and, and you know, obviously everybody watches stuff on, on the telly. So go and check out Jordan's channel. Uh, I will leave the link in the description. It's unbelievable. It's fantastic. The content's brilliant. Um, he's uploading consistently now. It's just great. There's, there's some of the videos on there, well, all the videos are brilliant. Um, I remember watching the, the uh, Xbox 360 collection and it's just so nostalgic. I just sat back yeah. and I felt like a 14-year-old for again for uh, an hour. Um, what was uh, What's your history then with sort of movies? How did you get into enjoying movies and what was your inspiration behind thinking, you know what, I'm going to start a YouTube channel and I'm going to talk about, about films? Um, I don't really know, mate. I just... I just... I think it was when I first watched Terminator 2 as a kid and I was like blown away and I was like, it was like the first movie my mum and dad sort of let me watch, you know, like more of an adult film apart from like these family films that I've been watching. They went, go on, you can watch that. And I was like in amazement by it. I was, I think that was the film that really made me love movies and from ever, ever since then, I was just, yeah, I've just, I love I just, I, it's hard to describe why you love it. It's, you, you just do, don't you? And yeah. I love collecting as well. I love having them in my collection and stuff. I know there's a lot of streaming services out there now, but I just, yeah, it's just a, a massive hobby of mine. And yeah, I just, I love all types of films. Every, near enough, every genre. Uh, every time I watch a film, I probably go onto IMDb and look into it and find a few facts about it and stuff. It's just a, a, a big interest that I've got. And, yeah, I, I've always wanted to start, well, not always wanted to start, but I started watching YouTube properly about three years ago, I think, three or four years ago, and uh, it was mainly gaming channels that I watched, but there was this one guy called Dean Thompson who I just really used to watch all the time, and then I remember watching the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, and I thought, I wonder if there's any reviews online of these Elm Street films, and I can see if, you know... I agree with them or whatever, and I just typed in Nightmare on Elm Street review, and there was this guy on there called Cody Leach. He was a he's got about forty thousand subs now. He's doing quite well, and I just watched one of his Nightmare on Elm Street reviews, and then I watched all seven of them for all seven films, and I think I watched them for about four hours that day. So he was a big inspiration, and I thought, you know what, I'd love to go and review some of my favorite films online. And it took me about a year to pluck the courage up. I'm finally do it, but it's one of the best things I've ever done. I haven't looked back, and I've got lots of ideas for the future. I just love doing it. Um, when you said it consistently, uh, over Christmas, I think I put eight videos up in seven days. <laughs> they were mainly down to end-of-year lists, yeah. you know, like my top ten best films, my top, top ten worst of the year. Yeah. Um, but I was just in this zone. I was just, like, loving making videos and stuff. And I feel like I'm getting a lot better at it. So, yeah, yeah. that's that's the history behind me and my channel, really, about films. <laughs> well, definitely. It's, it's brilliant, mate. It's absolutely brilliant. And you can see, you, yeah. you know, behind you, you've got a whole list of, of films. And, you, again, you, you talk about... Um, 
having passion in something and energy and and you know the love and the want to do it that is always a massive 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 uh, need if you if you're going to do a youtube channel really and and, and anything really is, is you've got to have that passion and you can tell yeah. you've got a massive massive passion for films um so in terms of your favorite then i've been watching some of you i've been watching your videos your collabs with uh, aiden and, and andy uh, i think they've been absolutely fantastic um so i probably would know this but just for anybody listening that might know this What's your favourite film? What's your favourite genre? What's the best film you've watched recently? Um, okay, uh, my favourite film of all time. Not the best film I've ever seen. Okay, my favourite. I think there's a difference there. Yeah. Um, because the best film I've ever seen is probably The Godfather Two. But that's not one I'm gonna go over and rewatch and rewatch. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's very long, it's isn't just, it? Yeah, yeah, and it's just not that type of film, really. Yeah. But my favourite that I always watch all the time is. Obviously, I said Terminator 2 is one of them, but I'd say Robocop. <laughs> I just, I've always loved that film. I, 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 there's a lot of a long story behind it. I won't go into it, but I just love it. I can watch it right now. It's just so rewatchable to me, and that's probably my favorite film. My favorite genre is probably horror. I do quite a lot of horror videos on yeah. there as well. Um, big horror fan. So, yeah, they're, they're about the around about the favorites. The best film I watched recently was on New Year's Day, and I couldn't believe I'd never seen it. Um, and I'm not going to sound like a big movie fan here because I've only just got around to it, but it was a film called Whiplash. Okay. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. Don't think so. Oh, um, that is instantly probably in my top 25 films ever now. So that's yeah. probably the best one I've watched recently. After checking yeah. out, me. I, I don't know um, if anyone wants to check the channel out. I've done a top 20 first time watches of last year where they are films from 2019 or less that I'd watched for the first time last year um, and I've done 20 films in order of you know the bet to the best number one being the best so happy days have you you seen the Horton series on Netflix which the Horton of Bly Manor or Horton of Hill House both I've seen the Horton of Hill House um, I I didn't like it didn't you like it no (laughs) I'm in the minority there, but Mike Flanagan, who sort of that's uh, created that series, I'm hit and miss with him, really. Yeah. No, I I, I agree. It was. I seen a lot of people saying it was the scariest thing they'd ever seen on Netflix, and I watched it, and I was like, it's got scary moments, it's got jump scare moments, but it's not very. They they're pretty much the same, aren't they? It's different characters, but it's the same sort of. I didn't really understand it to be honest, both of them, because Hill House I think come first, and okay, you know, it, it's a it's a decent. Uh, it's a decent um, program. It's got some good scare scare points, and I, I think it's quite rewatchable. But then they brought Blind Manor out, and it was the same actors and actresses, a similar scenario in terms of a house, a haunted house. Yeah. Just that Blind Manor had kids in it for the whole thing, and Haunted House only had bits and bobs of showing the the uh, characters as, as children. So I didn't really get why he basically made two of the same sort of series. Yeah. Um, but I... I, I um I heard somebody mention, I watched the review of Bly Manor, and they actually said it's, he doesn't see it as a horror, he sees it as a, a love story. Uh, I don't even seen it, I don't want to ruin it, but no, basically there's a, there's a relationship between two of the characters and, and your sort of forms, and it's more like that rather than the horror. The horror's just like the... Um, I've done film in school, and I'm going to sound proper... Is it, is it MacGuffin? It's MacGuffin, isn't it? The word I'm That's looking for. It's, Which one? No, I think we learned in film studies, McGuffin, I think, I'm pretty sure, so I'm going to look an idiot if it's not. Uh, you know, um, Psycho... I thought you were about McLovin from Oh, no, no, no. 
know, you know, Psycho, Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. The, apparently, I think the MacGuffin's the right way. The MacGuffin in that is at the start when there's the money stolen, and I think what yeah. it means in film is when. It, it, at the start of a film it looks like that the story's going to go a certain way but that's actually got nothing to do with the film whatsoever it's just something yeah, that's yeah. portrayed at the start and that's sort of like that with Blind Manor with the horror not as much because obviously horror's throughout the whole series so it's probably not a MacGuffin but it, it, it's more about like the, the love story Um but anyway, yeah. it's like a, it's like a decoy for the viewers, sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it is. Yeah. It's like, it, but and again, it, I suppose that sort of means it's a good series because you're going into it thinking this is a horror, this is a horror, and you if you come out and go, oh, it was a horror, you're probably thinking it wasn't that scary. But then as someone soon as someone says, what about the love element to it, the love story element to it, you're probably like, oh yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a decent program. Yeah. Uh, you've done a review on the fall on the channel, which I thought was yeah. just a boss series, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, other than the third one, I was a bit disappointed with the third season just because it yeah, was more yeah. psychological and. It's going to sound really weird, but I'm going around the streets just doing people in. Um, that's excellent, isn't it, mate? That's so good. Yeah, yeah. my dad told me to watch that about seven years ago. Because <laughs> it, 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 it's it been on, on BBC, BBC, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. and I, I was blown away by it. I love a good crime drama, and that was excellent. Like, I agree with you, though, the third series wasn't as good as the first two. Yeah. Um, it had some great moments, but the first two seasons were brilliant, but... It, it's definitely worth a watch for anyone who likes that sort of thing. Uh, I thought the main lead, not the not the woman of the X Files, I forgot her name. Gillian Anderson. <laughs> Gillian Anderson, yeah, not her. Um, the guy, and I forgot his name. Jamie Dornan. Now, James something. Yeah. James. Jamie Dornan, I think his name is. Jamie Dornan, that's it. Um, I thought he was brilliant, and he was he was scary. Yeah, he was. <laughs> and uh, there's a, I won't ruin that on here, but in the third series, you sort of like, uh, oh right, is that is that what it is? Uh, you sort of like don't know whether to believe them or not. Feel sorry for them, yeah. yeah I, I'm probably going to sound like an absolute idiot here because you and probably every other movie fan will probably go, "Oh, you're talking out your ass, mate. You haven't watched enough films." Then, but I actually think out of all the acting performances I've seen, I don't think it's the best, but I think it's very close to being the best in terms of how he plays that character. He plays him absolutely brilliantly, and. I just think it's a really again without spoiling it or going into any Who, of the, who's this? Jamie Dunham. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Without going into any of the details, um, it's I, it's a very very different style of that genre of series, isn't it? Because yeah. you see a more in depth life into him yeah. as a person and his family life rather than him being this shadow. And I think you alluded to that in your review, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I did mention that. That's what made it different because in crime dramas, you usually like eat the killers in the background. Yeah. And it's all like hidden. How they're going to catch him and stuff yeah. like that. And it does do that in this series, but I like the way it went to his point of view of life as well and how he deals with his family and his daughter and stuff. I, I thought that was very interesting dynamic of the fall and it worked well for it. Yeah. Just last on the fall because I love it. And I'd, I'd sit here and talk about it all night. So we, you just said about again without trying to spoil things i'm probably gonna spoil it you're a professional at this stuff now you know what to say without spoiling it i'm probably gonna go and say something that everyone goes nice one won't watch it now um were you do you sort of feel like and i watched it on netflix a couple of months back so i've probably got a a bit of a different sort of uh re feeling reasoning to it because it did come out so long ago on bbc when you watch the third series you sort of um i don't know just a bit like they could have made a fourth one and it sort of ended a little bit, I don't know, anticlimactic. Was that just um, me? Or do you think it's had its time and it was that was it? That was a good point I to just, end it? 
I just, I don't know, mate. Um, I thought it was the right time to end it. I just, it just felt a different tone. Yeah. You get me? Um, yeah. It was just the first two were just so good the way, it, and then the way it was building up and stuff, and then the third series was just totally. You were in control. Yeah, I don't want to spoil anything, but no, I agree. I agree. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. No, it's yeah, very different isn't it? of what he is able to do. If you get me, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. If so you haven't watched it, it's, it's, go on. Sorry, totally sorry, mate. I was just saying the third series felt totally different. Yeah, no, it did. But it went bad. It went bad. Yeah, no, it wasn't. If it was a standalone series, you'd go, oh, it's decent. That in different elements of it, but it was just. If you haven't watched the fall, go and watch it on Netflix. It's unbelievable. Some of the acting in it is fantastic. The different storylines in it. The different, like I said, the different things that are happening. The end of the second season, I think it is, is just brilliant. The last episode is about forty-five hours long, but it's just unbelievable. Um. On Netflix the best episodes of TV, though. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Uh, on um, on Netflix, then, what's the best film you've seen? Oh no, I, can't, I suppose I can't say film because there's a lot of good films on Netflix. What's the best television series you've seen on Netflix? Then that is sort of specific to Netflix, if you like, and hasn't hasn't just been put on there. Well, I was gonna say it is. <laughs> it's not a Netflix original, but it's been on there for so long. Um, but it is on there. So I was gonna say I was gonna say this TV show of Fargo. Okay. Uh, it's it's the most underrated TV show I've ever seen. I highly recommend that anyone watches it. There's about ten episodes in each season, and it's a different story, but they're loosely linked each yeah. season. If you get me, <clears throat> uh, but I think it's absolutely unbelievable, and it doesn't get talked about enough. Um, but I'd probably say for Netflix. I'd, I think it started on BBC, but it is a Netflix original now. I mean, Netflix have got the rights and yeah. stuff. I think um, it's Black Mirror. I, okay. I don't know if you've seen it. but yeah, I've I, heard about it. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Every episode's like a short film, if you get me. Yeah. It's just totally different, not linked to the other one and stuff. But they're all amazing. I highly recommend that you watch that. Uh, I know everyone's favourite's Breaking Bad and stuff, but uh, I, I would go with Fargo and Black, Black Mirror, definitely. It's right, is right. Uh, and then just lastly on films, because I, I think we should do a podcast where we sit down and talk about films for hours. Um, come on my channel, mate. Yeah, well, defo, yeah, I'll, I'll 100% yeah. come on your channel, mate, 100%. Nah, mate, everyone, will awesome. everyone will probably watch me, though, and go, he hasn't got a fucking clue, this fella, he doesn't know. I'll be like, that. Oh, what's that fella, Robert, Robert the what? Robert the what? So, so, everyone will just be laughing at me, but I'll definitely come on, because I, I do yeah. love films. Um, but just finally on, on films, then, before we uh, finish up, I want to ask you an Everton film-related question. Um... So you said Fargo. Is that so? Is, is that your is that the is that your favourite series, including series that aren't on Netflix as well? Then it's it's probably my second favourite series of all time. Yeah, um, my first is Twenty Four. Twenty Four. If no one's seen it, I haven't seen it, but my dad absolutely raves about Twenty Four. He absolutely loves it. I'll uh, I'll have ten to out of ten. Me. I'll have to give that one a watch. Definitely. Uh, final sort of well, film related question: Have you seen Case Thirty Nine? No, I've heard about it. Um, yeah, I, I, I sort of got that film spoiled for me, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, it spoils itself in about 15 minutes in. I, you, know, you know when, when you see one of them films, and I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to get bashed by f- the film um, critics and stuff, but you know when you see one of them films where it's got an amazing like story basis, and if you've seen it written down on a piece of paper, you'd go, that's unbelievable. But then you watch it, and how it's made, and you sort of mm. think, oh, I don't want to sound like a snob, yeah. but it's like, oh, could have been made a bit better. That shot could have been filmed a bit better. It just feels a bit like that. I'd watch it just for, you know, you'd probably watch it and mess with me going, you've just wasted two hours of my time there. But 
I don't know. It just feels a bit like that. Like that could have yeah. been done a lot better than it has been done. Yeah, I, I, when I heard about what it was about and stuff, I was like, that sounds like a really good film. Yeah. But I, I, have, I haven't seen it to be honest. So, um, but I know what you're saying. I've seen plenty of films where you think that's going to be good when you hear like the story and yeah. stuff, and it's a letdown. Yeah. So yeah, it's just mad. It's just. But I, again, I thought I thought I don't know if you'd seen it or not. We I watched it very yeah. recently. That's why. And, me missus was like, oh, this is brilliant, this, and I was, I was like that little film studies person in the corner going, ah, could have shot that better myself, or, you can tell <laughs> that's a green screen, and I, I was just yeah. getting snarls left, right and centre for it, obviously. Um, I think films are very subjective, aren't they? I mean, sure. me and my fiancé watch films, like we watched Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler in, and I thought it was an unbelievable film, and she absolutely hated it, so <laughs> it's just subjective, isn't it? It I is, suppose. it's opinions, isn't it? And yeah. that's life, and that's why film is loved by everybody because one person can love a film and the next person can you know hate a film and and yeah. different reasons and and you know that's that's obviously that that's opinions and that's fine uh film related everton question then mate before we finish up oh you're gonna put me on the spot here i'm gonna put you on the spot <laughs> if you could describe everton as one film genre and maybe even specifically one film what would you describe everton as <laughs> I'm gonna go against everything I say. Yeah, I say horror for genre, aren't I? <laughs> I'd, I'd agree completely. Um, <laughs> I think agree. people will also be disappointed if I don't say horror for yeah. everything. But, yeah, that uh, comedy. That probably people would say. Yeah, comedy. Yeah. At the minute, it means fantasy. Yeah, yeah. Spot <laughs> on. Minute, like... Spot on. Hey, you saved um, that one. Spot on. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, agree. I don't want to be negative and say horror. So. <laughs> I agree, um, absolutely. As a, as a film title or what happens in a film? Do you yeah, mean? go on, as a film title. That's an interesting oh, one. Mate, that, that's a hard one, <laughs> I don't want to, want to turn, me, turn away from the no, camera. But... The, good, the good, the bad, the ugly is one that comes yeah, to mind. That could, that could be it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially from a... Some of our managers we've had in the yeah. past. No, I don't mean I don't mean ugly, like, but you know, um, ugly performances. Not not yeah, personal looks. In case yeah. anyone gets confused. Yeah. What about the Great Escape? Now we've got Carlo going from Carlo to Allardyce. So the great there you escape. go. That is the great. That is the Great Escape. That we is. had a few of the Great Escapes in um, Premier League history as well, haven't we? With Wimbledon and yeah. Coventry. Yeah, certainly have. The Greatest Showman as well. I'd say Carlo's yeah. a he's a yeah. showman, and he. Carlo, yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Just thought it'd be a little interesting uh, twist. I'm sorry, I didn't get a very good answer for that one. But no, I that is just... that. Listen, you picked a well better. <laughs> the Great Escape is is a belting answer, mate. It's an absolute belting answer. Um, I'm sure the just, just from from Allardyce to Ancelotti. It is the greatest game. 100%, 100%. If you can think of a, a film title, by the way, in the comments that um represents yeah. Everton in your opinion leave it in the comments and I'll get involved with them I'm sure we'll have a little uh, funny conversation about it but anyway Jord massive massive thanks for joining us on the second episode of the podcast if you have enjoyed this podcast by the way if you're watching as a YouTube video please do leave your thoughts and comments in the comment section give the video a like um, and you know subscribe to the channel if you're new if you're watching on iTunes or Spotify or any other podcast platform massive massive thank you for watching this episode if you could share it and rate it and give it five stars and all that good stuff it would mean a great great deal to me Jord massive thank you for coming on mate massive massive thank you really appreciate that uh anything to say before we we finish up the podcast no just thanks very much for having me on and keep up the fantastic work on your channel and your new podcast i wish you all the best of luck with it thank you very much i'm sure it'll be great thank you very very much mate and of course i wish you all the best on the channel and i can't wait to be on the channel talking more films and time to get get you in 
trying to get me me film study student back into into full flow massive massive thank you to everybody for watching like i said if you have enjoyed it please do hit that like button don't forget to share the podcast as well really really do appreciate it we'll be back with episode three within the next week or so so look out for that one massive thanks for watching and we'll see you soon